Please be seated, everybody. Amen. John and team, praise God for that. Hallelujah. Indeed, great is his faithfulness toward us. Amen. Praise the Lord. We take this time this morning to get our hearts ready for taking communion uh, towards the end of the service. It is uh, um, one of those, you know, you're just amazed when you think about God's wisdom in instituting this, you know. Only the two things he instituted in the church, and there's a baptism and then taking communion, and they both speak so much of his death, burial, his resurrection, and the new covenant in which we, we now stand. And so something we never, ever, ever, ever want to take lightly. And it is such a great um, opportunity almost to push that reset button, if you like, and to come back to the basics. You know, in sport, they always talk about if you do the basics right, then you'll succeed. And uh, as Christians, you know, these are the, and John mentioned the elementary principles in Hebrews 6, you know, those foundation stones of our faith. And it's all rooted in Christ Jesus. So it's a wonderful opportunity for us this morning to get our hearts ready as we look at a few scriptures this morning. Um, and I pray, young and old this morning, and our children are with us, I pray that the Lord will touch your minds and uh, our hearts. That is, John has prayed that he would indeed speak to us something of his loveliness and his holiness and his love in every one of us here this morning. You know, this morning we sang that song, Jared, uh, um, as he was leading us in prayer. Uh, that Graham Kendrick song, Such Love, Such Love. One of the hardest things for us as Christians is just to receive love from God because we've been affected by our earthly relationships with people and people find it really hard to receive God's love. But amazing love and I hope and pray this morning as we look at a few scriptures, this will become evident to us. God's amazing love for each and every one of us, yeah? So um, before I, I pray, I just wanted to mention, I forgot to mention um, these are out on the table. <clears throat> they're for you to take, by the way. <laughs> so have a look at these. <clears throat> they are free. They are really worth a read. Herald of his coming. I've really been blessed by them. So you can read them in the afternoon when you have a nice lazy afternoon at some point. So they're for you to take. So before I start this morning, just thought I'd ask the children <clears throat> this morning, and um, maybe some brave ones that even want to speak out. I'll bring the microphone. But we all have an image of what we think Jesus might look like, yeah? <laughs> I was talking to my teenagers recently. We had a conversation, and we were saying, you know, isn't it interesting that God chose, you know, first century, or well, when Jesus came into the world, where there was no technology like we know it today, no social media, yeah, no Instagram, no Facebook, no people walking around with their phones. When Jesus was doing miracles, recording that and sending it out, and it's gone viral for everybody to see, God did not choose that time. He did not choose that time. He chose a time, as he did, when there was none of those things around. It went by word of mouth. Uh, the message spread, and people heard about the things that Jesus did. But that means we don't know what Jesus looks like, but we all have an image. So I wonder if some of the children are brave. You can just... What do you think, you know, when you pray, when you think about Jesus, what is it that you, he looks like? Because the message this morning is Jesus' appearance in the sense of what he looks like. And I want to look at a few scriptures where there are some examples where it actually describes a little bit of what 
something of his image. So if there's anybody who's brave enough to explain to you what you think, geez, Aiden, come on. Tell us, sir. What do you think Jesus is? I think he's got a white coat, maybe. White coat, yeah. Yes, yes. We'll get to a white coat. That's good. Anyone else? All done? Anyone else? Yes, Ben? I think he looks really loving and kind. Oh, good answer. Yes, I'm sure he has. Anybody else? Loving and kind. Lucy, come on out. Birthday girl. There we go. Brown hair and like a brown beard in a massage stand. (laughs) That's good, isn't it? Yeah. Brown hair and a brown brown eyes. Did you say brown eyes? Brown Brown beard, yeah. Because Jesus was Jewish, wasn't he? (laughs) He's Jewish. Anyone else? Bethany. Really yellow and bright. Yellow and bright, yes. I like the word bright. We'll get to that, yeah. Anyone else? Abby, let's do one or two more, yeah. Um, He ate honey. Jesus ate honey. That was John the Baptist, but I'm sure he ate as well, honey. (laughs) Yes, Jesus liked fish as well. Right, well, we all have a, uh, an image in our mind, don't we, of what we, we think Jesus might have looked like. And, of course, we are conditioned by the things that we see in uh, paintings, drawings. And, of course, in our culture today, uh, the chosen TV series, you know, children's books, what we think Jesus might have looked like. And I think it's always most important to go back to Scripture to see, but I also think there's a reason that God had, you know, brought Jesus into that very time when there wasn't technology. So we're going to look at a few verses. I want us to turn to Isaiah 52. We're going to start there and just look at a few scriptures this morning, where there are some explanations of <clears throat> what Jesus may have looked like. Although it doesn't describe his exact features, but it does speak something of who he is. And his mission, what he did, that is so important. So as you turn now, I'll just pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we just come before you this morning. You are our risen Lord Jesus. And though we have not seen you with our own eyes, we can sing this morning in spirit and in truth, knowing that you are alive. Lord, we are thankful. We are so grateful that you have enabled us by your Holy Spirit to know you by your Holy Spirit this morning. And so we say thank you. And we just ask, as we look at these few scriptures, particularly our young minds here this morning, I pray that, Lord, you would touch our hearts and reveal something of yourself to each and every one of us, young and old, we ask, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 So you go to the ultimate and find probably most the most... Um, Graphic, if you like, description of of something of Jesus' appearance. I'll read a few verses from Isaiah 52, verse 13, and we'll pick up a few things as we go along by God's grace. And it says in verse 13, Behold, this is God speaking through Isaiah, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage or his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So he shall sprinkle many nations. 
Kings shall shut their mouths at him for what had not been told them they shall see, and what they hadn't heard they shall consider. Then it goes on in chapter 53. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did, esteem, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised, or the better translation, crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Amen. We'll just read up to there for now. An amazing passage tucked away in the Old Testament, that when we read it through the lens of our Christian faith and who Jesus is, it is absolutely categorically clear this is talking about Jesus. We are absolutely certain about that, but we know so many of the Jews' eyes are still closed today and how wonderful it will be when their eyes open and they read this passage, as many do today, and they realize this is our Messiah, and they go all the way back 2,000 years and they realize that was him. That's our Messiah. This is Isaiah 53 and 52 talking about the servant of the Lord. An amazing thing. But remember when they were looking for their Messiah to come, when you look around what Jesus was talking about in that time, uh, you know, before, when he came onto the, uh, uh, the scene, they were waiting for a Messiah that was going to be like a militant ruler that was going to defeat the Romans and set them free. And, uh, you know, the Bible every now and then talks about a physical appearance in the Bible. We hear of Sarah being, you know, really beautiful. And we would never know. <laughs> Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? And we hear it of uh, Saul, King Saul, being a really handsome man, King David. But we'll never know. We've seen statues, we've seen paintings, but we don't know. We've never seen them, yet the Bible describes them as such a way. So it would make sense then when the Messiah comes, he would be the most handsome of all, on a white horse and, you know, come in majestically and powerfully. But we know from his first coming, that's not what it was. He came in as the suffering servant. And here in Isaiah 53, I think it really describes so wonderfully, he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, so when the Jews read this, when we, us people, when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. There was nothing about Jesus' physical appearance. And we thought, wow. This is the guy that's going to set us free. There was all a little bit of, is this, is this Jesus? You know, in fact, when, when they found out who his brothers and his family were, and they were like all a little bit disappointed, remember, in the New Testament. So much about appearance. And today we judge people by their appearance, don't we? <laughs> we often joke when we walk around and you will just look around. I'll say to Renee, that's a bad man. That just looks like a really bad man, you know, <laughs> and the kids would chuckle, you know, but we just joke on. So because of the appearance and, you know, when you meet that person, they'll probably astonish you. They're not at all what you thought they were. And I remember a few years ago, somebody had passed judgment on me just by my appearance. 
because I reminded him of somebody else he knew in the past. And because I was South African, I had a South African accent like this person that really hurt him. He projected that all on me, and I could never understand why he didn't like me until one day he confessed. When he got to know me, he took the time to get to know me. And I'm really sorry. You're not what I thought at all. <laughs> and it just shows us, you know, how easily we can pass judgment on people just because of the way it looks. But here we see Jesus, the servant of God, no form, no comeliness. When we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised. And he's rejected by men. This is one of the amazing things, friends. When you begin to understand who Jesus is, and we're going to, I think, work this one out for all of eternity. (laughs) When we look at his scar-marked hands in heaven one day, and we're going to just fall at his feet to worship him continually. The lamb that was slain. The son of God. Who would come into this world. The one who was from everlasting to everlasting. Says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He was with God the Father when he created the heavens and the earth. In fact, the Bible says he's the very agent through whom these things were created. And here he comes, injected into humanity, into history. The very Son of God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. No grand entrance. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were. Our faces from him, and he was despised, and we did not esteem him. In many sense, he was a disappointment to the people, not what they were looking for. But Jesus was in such a great and eternal mission. And isn't it amazing that you and I sit here? You know, I find this absolutely amazing. When we come together like this and Sunday after Sunday and prayer meeting after prayer meeting and, you know, when we're back at home and the the school meetings that we have and you realize we're coming in the name of Christ. (laughs) And you see, this is what I'm hoping we get back to this morning is the, the foundation stone because if there's so many things that are wrong with Christianity today, there is division upon division upon division upon division. It's like it's being dissected and dissected and we all, because we have different opinions about various things, but there's one person, should I say, that brings us all together. It is Christ Jesus. But we have to ask ourselves, don't you, which Jesus do you serve? (laughs) This is very much the question, which is why I like asking the children that question. We all have a mindset. Now, it's okay to have what we imagine he might look like, and we're going to look at a few uh, more verses in a minute. But people are conditioned by the things that they see, their upbringing, their religious upbringing, or wherever they come from. So you think of Roman Catholicism, for instance, Jesus on the cross, the crucifix, yeah? I always look at that and I think, but he's not on the cross anymore, okay? He shouldn't be there. That happened 2,000 years ago, and he said, it is finished. So that's not the Jesus we want to worship. And dare I say, even, you know, we uh, Lots of TV shows and, you know, modern day uh, ways they try to portray Jesus. And, uh, you know, the latest one, some of you may have been watching the Chosen series, you know. We've watched some of it as a family and found it very interesting. But there's a danger in that, that you can begin to identify with that Jesus that is really produced by a producer, if you like. <laughs> and it's not the Jesus of Nazareth, although they're trying to tell a story. We've got to be so careful. 
about these things. We've got to be sure we serve the Jesus of the Bible. He is the one. He is the only one, not a Jesus. And this is the Jesus that we see when he came into this world. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. We'll read a little bit further. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That is the great equalizer for each and every one of us here that we have been saved by grace. We've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. We, like all like sheep, have gone astray. Paul says in Romans, doesn't he? All have fallen short. All of us. We are all without excuse. All of us. But God has laid on him, my servant, my servant, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, verse 7. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. You have to ask the question, how can you read that and not identify Jesus in this? It is such a clear description. He was taken from prison and judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. Meaning he'll die for the transgression of my people. He was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence. As we were looking at the men's meeting, no sin found in him. Though he was tempted in every point, as you and I are, yet he was without sin. No sin. Nor was any deceit in his mouth. Jesus did not tell a lie. Friends, we all know how painful it is when people come to us. They lie to you. Even as children, you know, some of you think, how, how does this happen? They just learn how to lie, don't they? <laughs> it's like fallen nature. But there is no lie in Jesus. Nothing as painful. Particularly, I think of many Christians today that follow personalities. They follow Cults, cult-like figures. Only to find out at the end of the line, I've been lied to. I've been deceived by a doctrine of man. But in Jesus, my friends, there is no deceit. (laughs) He'll never let you down. Your pastor may let you down. Your husband leader may let you down. Your husband or your wife could let you down. Those closest to you can let you down. But never Jesus in him. There is no deceit. And it says, yet it pleased the Lord, verse 10, to crush him. He was put, he put him to grief. And when you make his soul an offering for sin, how clear is this when we read this back? Isn't this amazing? He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of soul. Praise God. I believe when Jesus looks, you know, at us here and he sees, look at these people meeting in my name. I gave my life for them 2,000 years ago. What a miracle. And yet we make a small thing of our gatherings. And we make it everything else that the world would want it to be. The amount of time I hear from people coming to church 
and they'll say, but where's the band? <laughs> where's the lights? <laughs> they want to be entertained. And though they look straight past, the very reason we are there is Jesus, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That does bring you praise and worship, then I don't know, okay? Absolutely amazing. Tucked away in the Old Testament for us to have a look at. No form, nor comeliness, a humble servant, despised, rejected by men. Nothing in him that we should desire him saying, this is the great man of God that's going to set all of humanity, those who believe in him. No. In that sense, we could say Jesus meek and mild. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. I want us to turn, if you don't mind, just turn with me to Matthew 17, another example of Jesus. And this is where Jesus is walking the face of this planet. Do you know, we sometimes forget this, don't we? We know we're celebrating Lucy's birthday, ninth birthday. There was a time when Jesus was nine years old. There was a time when Jesus was three years old. I cannot say there wasn't a time when Jesus was my age, John, I'm too old for you. <laughs> But he was born into this world of the Virgin Mary. We must never forget these fundamentals to our faith. Injected into humanity, if you like, into history. As a human being, the very son of God. And he lived his life. He grew up. Went through all those things. All the temptations we go through. Yet without sin. But this is an amazing account in Matthew chapter 17. If you please turn to Matthew chapter 17. And this is known as the transfiguration. I just love this passage. Matthew 17 from verse 1. It says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. They were really privileged guys to witness what we're about to read. And he was transfigured before them, right? So keeping the image of what we have in our mind, what Jesus may have looked like as a normal human being. You know, it talks about Jesus slipped in and out of crowds. It wasn't like they could spot him a mile away. He looked like average person, average Jewish person, I guess, would have at that time. But here they see something amazing take place. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. No, we haven't seen the sun for a few days, but when you, know, when you see the sun, you can't stare at the sun. His face shone like the sun. His clothes, I think Bethany said he had the white clothes, isn't it? His clothes became as white, but not just white, friends, white as light. Do you see what the writer is, is explaining to us? There is a luminance, there's a shining, a glowing, if you like. And they are witnessing this. And then another thing happens. Behold, Moses and Elijah appear to them, talking with him. What is going on? <laughs> An amazing, 
amazing event in history that took place. Somebody described it, a heavenly eternal staff meeting happening before their very eyes. Moses, some say, representing the law. Elijah representing the, 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 the prophets, as it were. Jesus there ushering in the new covenant in which we now stand. What were they talking about? I'd love to know, (laughs) but we don't. But listen to Peter, what he does. Then Peter answered, witnessing this. Now, you you have to imagine, all right? We are allowed to use our imaginations in church, right? (laughs) Some people like throwing up pictures and things. I like, no, let's use our imaginations. I believe the word of God was written. That's why it didn't come in a time of social media. We were so hooked on YouTube and all these things. No, it was written so that we can use our minds and the Lord will direct us by his spirit. So you got a picture there. So Jesus' face shining like the sun, his clothes radiating light. <laughs> An astonishing, astonishing miracle. Moses and Elijah appearing out of nowhere. And then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make Here, three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I think Peter probably just didn't know what to do, but we've got to do something, (laughs) okay? An amazing thing is taking place. But I just love this in verse 5. Peter gets very rudely, or should I say timely, interrupted while he's on the spin of, let's create these tabernacles. While he was still speaking, Matthew tells us. <laughs> In other words, Peter, shush. <laughs> okay. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Again, think of radiant light. This bright cloud overshadowed shadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Wow. (laughs) You know, those words should be in bold, (laughs) you know, proclaimed wherever we go. Though he was a man despised, acquainted with sorrows, rejected, hated even, Put on the cross, as we know, spat upon the crown of thorns, utterly rejected by those he created. Here is the voice of his Father from heaven, again, speaking into history so that human beings standing there could hear it. And you know, you could look at those every single word that God spoke and you can link it back somewhere to the Bible. God picked those words so carefully, what he had said. This, pointing to Jesus, obviously, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, hear him. Though the world should hate him, though the world should mock him as they do, though they should resist him as they even did, and they hung him on the cross and they crucified him, yet God pronounces throughout all of history, friends, back then, back into history, all the way into the future, into eternity, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then God gives us that all-empowerful tip. Hear him. Hear him. Listen to him. Pay attention to him. God Almighty, my friends, 
Let me say this to us this morning. When Jesus came into this world, the Son of God, everything changed. Please turn with me to Acts chapter 17. I didn't prepare this this morning, but I just feel I need to read this. Acts chapter 17. And I hope by the grace of God this morning, this is what brings us all together, friends. There's so much division in the body of Christ today. We all have different opinions on various things. Let us come together in the unity and our understanding of who the risen Lord Jesus is. Amen. And we worship him. He is our salvation. He is our everything. He is the foundation stone. The Jesus of the Bible. Jesus of Nazareth. You know, when Paul was preaching to these clever people on Mars Hill, Acts chapter 17, all the philosophers, all the clever people of his day. And, uh, you know, he walks around and he sees all these idols. And we see in verse 23 that inscription to the unknown God. And he uses that as his, in, you know, his entry point, as it were. Let me tell you about the unknown God who don't, you don't know about. But then he begins to reason with them. I'll pick it up from verse 26, Acts 17, 26. And he's talking here to them about God. So this is Paul speaking. He says, and he made from, and he made, uh, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. And he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. He's telling them about God. What is it? What he has done, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. Do you know? God is so near to you. He is so near to each one of us if you would just but call upon his name. Listen to what Paul says to them in verse 28 and onwards. For in him we live and move and have our being. In other words, you know, we created in his image. All creation belongs to God. We, we, we created by him. The very fact that you're alive and I'm talking to you is all because of God. And I move and I have my being, as also some of your own poets have said. So evidently there was something that even identified this in their own poetry. For we also are his offspring. But verse 29 says, Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Talking about idolatry. Then Paul says to them, Truly, these times of ignorance, God overlooked. Isn't that amazing? Great time of ignorance, worshiping the creator, the, um, the creature rather than the creator. But Paul is saying to him, God overlooked this, these times of ignorance. But now, but now, commands all men everywhere to repent. What's changed? What has changed? God overlooking times of ignorance. But now Paul is saying to them, my friends, now God commands all men everywhere, repent. Remember that voice from the cloud. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I don't care what anybody else says. He, I'm pleased with him. Better make sure you listen to him. It's like a really strong warning. And Paul is warning them. 
So God overlooked these times of ignorance, but now he commands. It's a strong word. It's a command. He commands men everywhere to repent. Why? Because, verse 31, he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. How? By the man he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. This is the Jesus whom we serve. That Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, lived his life throughout. Jesus went to the cross. He died and he is, he's rose, or, you know, raised from the dead, the resurrection, and he ascended into heaven. And we better believe he is coming back. So everything changed when Jesus entered the world. Everything changed. Great blessings for those who would accept him, but great terror for those who would reject God's gift, his own son. Do you see this? This is no small thing that took place. And here they witnessed it in in Matthew 17. Let's look at another example, if you don't mind. We've got a little bit of... We'll try and finish in a few minutes. We want to take communion. But let's look at John chapter 20, please. Gospel of John chapter 20. Another example of where Jesus was seen and something amazing took place. So we've seen something of Jesus' earthly appearance when he was walking amongst us. We saw something of Jesus being transfigured before their very eyes. And as one Bible teacher once said, you know, the great miracle of the transfiguration was not the fact that he transfigured before their eyes. The great miracles of that glory was concealed all the other time he was walking on the face of the earth. But here in John 20, we see resurrected Jesus before he ascends into heaven. It's another interesting period of time. And the disciples had had encounters with him and the road to Emmaus, who remember as well. Jesus even walked with them, but they didn't necessarily recognize him. Only when they broke the bread, remember. Then they recognized him. Now it says in verse 24 of John 20. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So he missed out in that instance. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord, the risen Lord. Rose from the dead. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print, uh, uh, put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I believe. We're really harsh on Thomas, calling him doubting Thomas. But Thomas wanted to be absolutely sure. Is this really the Lord? And after eight days, verse 26, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut. (laughs) How on earth that happened? I don't know. Miracle. And stood in the midst and said, peace to you. As he says to us today, peace to you, my people. Peace to you. And they said to Thomas, Jesus, you know, we know from another script, Jesus knowing all things. He knows exactly what's in the heart of man. If Jesus is standing here today and you're thinking something, he'll probably call you out right here in front of everyone. Say, I know exactly what you're thinking. And Jesus said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. 
Do you believe is the question here. And Tom had answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. What a revelation Thomas had. He just wanted to be sure. Now that he's sure, he falls down as it were, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, and this is astonishing, he says, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. Now I want to ask every single one of you this morning, have you seen Jesus with your physical eyes? I have not. (laughs) Some people may have had visions of him and had dreams perhaps. But I don't think there's many people on the face of the planet today that can say, I have seen the Lord with my physical eyes. I've heard stories even of Muslims that have had what they call meetings with Jesus that spoke to them and they came out of Islam. But not many people can say that. But what a blessing Jesus is saying here. Those who have not seen, we have not put our hands on his scar-marked hands or felt the, the wounded side. We weren't like Thomas that could realize, this is the, this Jesus, this is the man I walked with all this time. He's alive. I've seen him hung on the cross. He was dead. And behold, he lives. He is my Lord and my God. And Thomas worshipped him. But friends, this is a blessing to each and everyone. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.16, I'll just read it to you. You know, we could look at on the road to Damascus, you know, and Paul had that amazing encounter as well with the risen Lord Jesus, glorified Jesus. But Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.16, he says, therefore from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. So Paul would have known something about Jesus when he was alive. Okay, would have been around at that time. And the disciples knew Jesus. They talked with him. Even Judas, who betrayed him. Yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Praise God. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Just like Isaiah 53 says, God put on him the iniquity of us all and so reconciling us through his son. And friends, we don't know Jesus according to the flesh. We don't all walk around with a little drawing or a photo. This is my beloved Jesus. <laughs> no, we don't know him like that. We know him by his spirit. We're new creatures in Jesus. And it's now Christ living in us who's the hope of glory. And that's how we know him. And Jesus himself said to Thomas, Blessed are those, I mean, friends, this is talking about us <laughs> and all those that came after the times of the disciples. Though we've never seen Jesus, yet we believe. That is a miracle. You know, cults arise and, and, and heroes throughout history, they arise. But as people die out, these things fizzle away. 
But Christianity, or the way as it was known back then, was fiercely being tried to be stamped out by Satan and all those who were working for him. Persecution, you know, uh, manipulation, deceit, deception, all these things. Throughout all the years, even now, Christianity is all the more unwelcome in society. Yet there are believers. <laughs> it is a miracle, and I think Satan hates it. You know, I love that in Psalm chapter 2, somebody prayed it this morning. Why do the nations rage and plot anything? And you know where God says, yet I've set my king on my holy hill of Zion. And later on he says, it's the son, lest he be angry, and his wrath is kindled but a little. Those strong words from God Almighty, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And Paul says to us, God commands men everywhere now to repent because he's coming and he's going to judge. Let's close with John chapter 1, please. Another fascinating, fascinating encounter with Jesus. Friends, this is Jesus of Nazareth. (laughs) Jesus born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus who went to the cross, battered and bruised, crushed, as Isaiah would say. And now you've got to remember who's writing the book of Revelation is the the Apostle John, the beloved disciple. Loved Jesus, knew him, spent time with him. Part of these private meetings that Jesus had and at the transfiguration. Pick it up from verse 9, Revelation chapter 1 verse 9. John says, And I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation, And kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos. For the word of God, back then already, church was being persecuted. So nothing's changed in that sense. So he was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Go and give that one to a Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> when they tell you Jesus is not Jehovah God, well, then he clearly identifies as I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, friends of which we part, which are in Asia, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Jesus made sure these things are recorded for us, sent out for us, and he has preserved it for us so we can know the truth. But listen to the verse 12. Then I turned, this is John, to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, girded about with the chest with a golden band, and his head and hair were white like wool. And we think, wow, he was just really old looking. But listen to what he says, as white as snow. Again, the imagery there, friends, is like snow glistening in the sun, glowing. And his eyes like a flame of fire. We read in Habakkuk 1 this morning, didn't we? About God's eyes cannot behold evil. Burning fire, judgment. No evil can stand in his sight. And his feet 
were like fine brass as it is refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And in his right hand, seven stars out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, says John, I fell at his feet as dead. I want to challenge each and every one of us this morning. When we have an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus, there needs to be a death in that sense, like John did here. John, the beloved disciple. All that he knew, all that he understood about Jesus, all the intimacy, if you like, he had with Jesus while he was walking on the earth. Here he encounters the risen, glorified Jesus Christ. And he falls at his feet as dead. What else will you and I do when we come in his presence? If Jesus had to appear here now and all his glory would be flat on our faces, there'd be no life found left in us. Only when he says, in verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. Hallelujah. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. Sometimes I believe as Christians, when we think of what Jesus did on the cross, we think it is finished. I think it was the late David Pawson that said, well, isn't that when it really all began? The atoning work, yes, finished, it's done. There's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But now starts this work (laughs) when Jesus will reap the rewards of what he did in obedience when his father sent him into this world. And he gives his beloved John The wonderful privilege, write these things down, John, so that you and you and you and me, we can read these things and we can take them to heart and that we can believe and not be like Thomas. We can not be unbelieving, but we be believing. And in that, we will have our salvation. My friends, I hope and pray that when we come to communion in a minute, that we do so in a whole new light. This is no small thing that we do. In fact, Paul rebuked the church at Corinth, didn't he? Because they were doing it in an unworthy manner. They made a small thing. They made it all part of a fellowship meal and all these things. They were not taking it seriously. Don't ever forget. As we said to the men yesterday, as we were talking, every time we want to be tempted to sin or anything, we have to remember how much it cost our Savior to save us from our sin that we potentially just want to jump into. It will make us think again. There's a fear of God that grips our hearts. And when we think of words of God, he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. <laughs> Hear him. Don't take this lightly. Paul says, God now commands men everywhere to repent. This is no more time of overlooking. But we're in the time of grace where you can call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved because no other way. So I pray this morning, as we get our hearts ready for a time of communion, take this seriously. I want to say to parents this morning, you make the decision for your children if they are ready to take communion. But if you know the risen Lord Jesus this morning and you know him personally, 
I'll encourage you to take communion. Don't be so quick to pass it by because of something that you're not sure about or niggle, because it's an opportunity for us, isn't it, friends? It's an opportunity for us to put whatever that niggle is right, which is why that's the master plan of God, the wisdom of God. It brings us face to face. When we look at that little cracker it is this morning and the cup, it speaks of the body of Jesus that was broken for us and his blood, the new covenant, so that we will never forget what it cost. Amen. I'm going to ask my dad and my mom. They're going to just lead us in 